Okay, let me pray for us, and we'll get started this evening. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your spirit. I pray that you would take uh, what is yours, your truth, your word, and your spirit would communicate it not only to our brains but to our hearts. And would you use it, please, uh, to draw us closer to yourself and to transform us from the inside out. We ask for that, and we pray for it, please, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in a mini-series, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, Joshua showed us how people can um, possess their inheritance, and Paul is putting some New Testament theology to that picture that we got back in Joshua. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we're living in the promised land, and I've suggested to you, by the way, somebody said, um, where do you get all the answers? <laughs> and so I feel compelled to remind you uh, that these are no more than educated opinions. What, what, uh, but they're just educated opinions. There's lots of opinions out there. Mine are better, but there are other opinions that are out there. So just so you know, the, uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. First, how does God see me, really? Romans 5 was the answer to that. He sees you and he sees me as justified, meaning at peace with him. I stand now in grace and I have only the expectation of glory to come. Condemnation is nowhere to be found because he sees me as justified. So how does God see me? Really, I can't deal with Romans 6 or 7 if I don't have my feet squarely planted in the ground of Romans 5. I've got to see myself as God sees me, and that is as a justified person. Next, Romans 6, how do I overcome deliberate sin? And I heard the questions in your head last week, and so we talked about respectable sins, just to illustrate to you that we do still struggle with things we know are wrong to do. That's what I'm calling deliberate. These are deliberate sins. Paul would say uh, his argument, now that I'm a Christian, it doesn't matter if I sin because I can be forgiven, and doesn't that glorify God even more? That's Paul's argument in Romans 6. And his answer, remember that, was meganoita, which means not only no, but heck no. <laughs> so Paul reminded us in chapter 6, chapter 5, I'm justified, chapter 6, the moral incongruity of a Christian continuing to sin. There is a moral incongruity. Remember, we talked about like volume one is closed and I'm now living in volume two. Better illustration, I've been co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with Christ. I'm dead to what I used to be. 
It's just incongruous that you would continue to sin. And so Paul talks about how can you, as a Christian, say, it doesn't matter how I live my life anymore because God will forgive me anyway. He says, this makes no sense whatsoever. That's Romans 6, and we talked at the end of last time about what do I need to know? How do I begin to live this out? How do I begin to see change? What do I need to know? What do I I need to begin telling myself about the truth? What do I need to know about the truth? What do I need to consider or, or start over? Mm-hmm. What do I need to know or what do I need to consider? And then how do I need to yield myself to those things? Okay, good. I think I'm in the right place. Okay. One of the things that Paul is talking about in Romans 6 is the issue of license, meaning I can sin all I want because I'm going to be forgiven. Paul's saying that is a wrong view, license. Okay? What's going to be the flip side? Legalism. That's the topic of chapter 7. So he says, license, it does matter how you live your life. It does matter how you uh, live, uh, how you fight sin. But over here, you think the answer is this, is legalism, and you're wrong. And so he's going to tell us in Romans 7 that license is a wrong view, but so is legalism. So the last of our little brief review was the old bill owned by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. My ruler was sin. That was my king. I was in Adam. Sin's power, sin exercised its authority and power over me as Adam's child. And we talked last time about I couldn't not sin. And it led me to commit sins and led me to spiritual death and separation from God. But praise be to Jesus who rescued me from that and brought me to another side by co-crucifixion, co-burial, and co-resurrection. I am now owned by God. My ruler is Jesus Christ who rules in grace I am now in Christ. I am no longer in Adam. I am in Christ. The power that I'm under is no longer the authority and power of sin, but I live under the power of grace and the Spirit of God. These things draw me to obedience. They draw me toward Christ, Christ, righteousness, and holiness. My whole life has dramatically and irrevocably changed. I am no longer who I was. I am not yet all I'm going to be, but I am no longer who I was. Romans 5 and 6, we've got to get this into our brains. 
And that's why I have to know these things, consider these things, and then yield myself in faith accordingly. Uh, Dick Wade, Dick and uh, Mel come when they're able uh, on Sunday nights, and he, he kind of mm, cobbled some things together, which I think you have a little handout, a little card, which was um, real neat. Uh, not in trying, but in trusting. Not in running, but in resting. Stop trying to fix the old man and grow the new man through yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and the will of the Father as expressed in His Word. He, he was kind of, um, has an artistic bent, and so he was trying to put these teachings into something that was meaningful to him, and that's what he came up with the last time we went through this material. So thanks for that, Dick. Uh, living in the promised land, then, those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. How does God see me, really? He sees me as justified. How do I overcome deliberate sin? This is the issue of license. I can no longer live as I used to live. I can't do it. It makes no moral sense for me to do that. So how do I pursue holiness? Paul moves from license. He says, I know you think you know the answer, and now I'm going to address it in Romans chapter 7. So he's going to start talking about legalism. So as these chapters go together, 5 is about justification. The penalty is paid and our position in Christ. Key. Christ died for us. Penalty is paid. That's given us a new position, new standing, and new privileges. Six, seven, and eight go together as a package. And in six, Paul talks about we died with Christ to sin. What's the implication? We died to sin as a master. Sin is no longer our master. I do not have to obey what sin tells me anymore. Chapter 7, well, all three of these chapters talk about sanctification and and the power. Chapter 7 is about we died to the law. Implication, we died to our own self-effort. That's what Paul is going to be talking about in Romans chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 is Paul's... um, what do you call it? Uh, journal. <laughs> Here is a Christian. Would you say Paul's a Christian? I would. Paul's a Christian. Chapter 7, somebody's struggling with sin as a Christian. Guess who? Paul. And he finds out that the good he wants to do, he can't do. Any connection between Paul and, and you or me? If Paul, and you would look at Paul and say, this guy is like Superman. If Superman can't do it, what? How am I going to do this? Paul is pointing out the struggle in his life when he was trying to now follow the law as a Christ follower. And so he says, he's going to tell you, it doesn't work. 
bottom line. He's only going to tell us tonight what doesn't work. Next time, he's going to tell us what does work, and that's the Spirit of God. So tonight, if you're leaving at the end of tonight going, tell me the answer, then I've done a good job. Because chapter 7, you should be going, that is exactly my problem. Paul's going to solve it next time. He's not going to solve it tonight, but I'm going to give you a little preview because I can't leave you here. Paul's going to tell us tonight that what doesn't work are do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts don't work. Do's and don'ts don't work. Um, Some of you have heard this, more of the guys probably than the ladies. Um, Don't drink, don't cuss, and don't go with girls who do. Whatever. <laughs> Do's and don'ts don't work. Do's and don'ts don't work. Um, my mother grew up, or she was actually, she was born in Beaumont, but at this particular time she was in high school. I think she must have been living, she might have been either in Beaumont or in Dallas or Fort Worth. I can't quite remember. And she... Her, her parents um, really did not want their daughters to dance. So my mother was born in 1935, so didn't want their daughters to dance. Well, she got invited to a dance at a Baptist church. And I, I asked her one time, I said, now how did that go? I mean, just curious. How did that go? She said, oh, it wasn't a problem at all because they didn't dance. And I said, they didn't dance at all? And she said, well, what they did was, she said, we called them left-footed Baptists. I said, why would you call them left-footed Baptists? She said, because according to their own teaching, that as long as your left foot stayed nailed to the floor, (laughs) this is not dancing. (laughs) Do's and don'ts don't work. They weren't working for those Baptists, and they weren't certainly working for my mother, (laughs) because all they were doing is trying to figure out, we want to dance. How do we get there? (laughs) We can't dance, so we've got to find some kids who can't dance either, but they've figured out how to do it. And so that's what they've done. Guess why the do's and don'ts don't work? Because you'll find a way around them. Do's and don'ts don't work. And so now Paul is going to tell us through chapter 7 why do's and don'ts don't work. So I'm going to start with the big idea of Romans 7, and then we're going to work our way through it. Here's the big question. As Christians justified by faith in Christ, are we now able to obey the law to grow? That's the question. Because if do's and don'ts do work, then the answer to this question should be yes. But do's and don'ts don't work. And so Paul says, not only no, 
But heck no, this does not work. He says, left to ourselves, our human weakness makes it impossible for even the holy and good law of Moses to rescue us from the indwelling power of sin and release us from its wages of death. Bummer. From the time you became a follower of Christ, you have been trying, and so have I, to come up with do's and don'ts. Where did we get that? Adam. Answer. Obeying law, do's and don'ts, has never broken anyone's bondage or led to freedom and growth. And it's not because we're unwilling but it's because we're unable. This is chapter 7 in a nutshell. It's our problem. We have a problem that we cannot get over. That's his point in chapter 7. We need outside help. So, do's and don'ts don't work. And he begins to walk us. I'm going to walk you through now chapter 7. That was the big idea of it. The justified have been set free from the land and the power of the law. Remember, we had our two lands. And on this side was the land of the law. And we no longer live there. We now live over here in the land of grace. Here, sin and the evil one were our ruler. Over here, Jesus and grace are our rule, is our ruler. I don't live in the same place I used to live. I've changed addresses. I'm not the same person. So the justified have been set free from the land and the power of law. And he spends the first six verses talking about a married couple. One spouse dies... They are permitted under the law to remarry. They're, they're released from their obligation. What's his point? When you die, you're released from your former obligation. When you died with Christ, you're released from your former obligation to the law. And now what? Why does he throw in this little part he, at the, in chapter or in uh, verse six? But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Okay, so I'm free now to be married to someone new. My former spouse, if you understand the analogy that he's making, my former spouse, the law, I've died. Therefore, I am free to be remarried, and I'm going to marry someone else. Who am I going to marry? Jesus. I am now free to be married to Him. That level of intimate relationship. And I no longer see the law as something to do something to perform, 
but it's springing out of my heart. I want to do this. I want to do it. Why? Because of my new spouse who loves me and gave himself up for me. I love this one and want to obey him from my heart, not because if I do, he'll be kind or good to me. He's going to be that anyway. But I want to do it from my heart. So we have a new, if you are justified, you are a Christ follower, we have a new relationship to the law. The death of a spouse in a marriage leads to freedom for the survivor to remarry. Death has freed the Christian from their former marriage to the law and allows them to enter into a new intimate relationship with Jesus. I'm also living in this different land. There's a different economy that's going on. I'm now entitled to receive Jesus' grace gifts rather than only the wages from sin, which are what? Death. But what are his grace gifts? Too numerous to mention. But now they're not owed to me. They're his gifts to me. Because we are, by the analogy, we are married. And he gives me good gifts. Everybody tracking? You want me to go faster? The justified have been set free from the land and power of the law. We have a new relationship to the law. So then he goes on, and he says, uh, verse 7, Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? In other words, maybe the problem here is the law of God. Paul says, (laughs) hold on. Tap the brakes. Wrong. So he says, the law is good, righteous, and holy. And it testifies truthfully to who God is and what he is really like. Is the law, Paul, is the law responsible for my sin? No. The law is good and holy and right. Well, then, Paul, what is the problem? And so he finally gets down to verse 14 or 13, and he says, the problem isn't the law, it's us. The problem is man or mankind. And what does sin do with the law? The law is good. It's holy. It's right. What does the law do or what does sin do with God's good thing? Sin uses the law to fight believers at every turn. Sin uses the law to arouse rebellion, even in the Christian, and give birth to its fruit of spiritual death. Just as the Jew who tries and tries to obey the law remains frustrated and bound up under the law, so will all others meaning us, who try to use that same strategy. When we try to use the law, we are no different than someone who right now is outside of Christ 
trying to be justified or trying to grow by keeping the law. Do's and don'ts don't work. Why? Because of the law? No. Look in the mirror. We're the problem. It's not this. It's this. We are the problem. Sin still resides in my flesh. Though I have been crucified with Christ, I still have my body. Which is why when we die, it's such a matter for rejoicing. Because I no longer have the sin that I cannot get rid of. It's gone from me. And my new body will not have this problem. Hallelujah. One of the reasons we're looking forward, I'm in no hurry, but one of the reasons you look forward to being with the Lord is because this thing that's been dogging you your whole life since you became a Christian is now gone. It is removed, and you are free. I don't know how many other things aren't in heaven, but there's one thing that's not in heaven, sin. Sin is not in heaven, and that is something to look forward to. Look at what sin does with God's good things. It's horrible. Paul, back to Romans 6. How can you keep living under sin, your old master? Look what it does with God's good stuff. This is how sin does bad things to you, even when you're trying to do good. How did Paul learn about how bad the law was? law said, don't covet. And he went, oh. All of a sudden, I start coveting. (laughs) I wasn't coveting before, but I am now because the law says don't covet. How many of you, oh gosh, wow, this is way too convicting. How many of you, you're driving along, and if the speed limit were 55, how many of you would set your cruise control at 55? What happens in you when you see 55? I'm going to go 56. This lane, I got to go at least 60 or I'm going to get run over. Wait a minute. What does the law say? The law says the speed limit is 55. I can justify driving faster all I want, and then I can try to justify it to the judge. I've broken the law, but I've rationalized it. Uh Uh-oh. Is that not what we do with all sin? I see 55 and I go, "Mm -mm, not this boy. (laughs) I'm in a hurry. I'm an exception and I can go fast. And I will. (laughs) And ain't nobody going to stop me. I know that this is just my own sinful heart and you're enjoying my own sinful heart. But uh, if there's any connection with you, hopefully point is made. Do's and don'ts. Don't work. I have a new relationship with the law. I want to do it. Before, if, if some of you who came to Christ or Christ found you, I think is perhaps better, uh, as an adult, I was uh, in my 20s, I remember I didn't want the law of God. 
why would I need that? It's a bunch of stuffy left-foot Baptists. You know, that's what they are. I, w- I was on campus, and no, no offense to anything, Campus Crusade has a wonderful, amazing ministry. But in my own mind, my mind was so darkened, I'm walking past these people on campus, and they're, are you, are, and they're yelling at me. I'm like, talk to the hand. I don't want anything you're selling because you're a bunch of hypocrites. And I know it, and so do you. I want nothing to do with you. Were they hypocrites? Yep. Am I a hypocrite? Yep. I won't answer for you. Okay, I will. (laughs) We're all hypocrites. But to those who are outside of Christ, that becomes a rationalization for why I don't need what you're, you know, what you're selling. I don't need it. They weren't any more than I am. But I have a new relationship now to the law. I want, I want to do it. It tells me what is pleasing to my God, and I want to live that way. And I would imagine that's true for most everybody in this room. You want to live that way. But you find... You can't do it. But you keep trying with do's and don'ts. And you keep, it's like the dog that keeps chasing the parked car. You, your face keeps smashing against the tire. And you go, well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe I'll get a better list and I'll finally be able to get where I want to get. No. Stop. Stop trying. It won't work. The problem isn't the law. It's us. The harder the believer tries, the worse it gets. And the worse he or she feels about himself or herself. Now, no one raised their hand in here, but anybody ever felt like that? Remember, no, no, don't raise your hand. No, no. Of himself, man, mankind, is simply unable to obey God's Word. Every Christian needs outside help. Uh, So why don't do's and don'ts work? Because they depend on me. They don't depend on the law of God. They depend on me. And I'm flawed. And even in salvation and co-crucifixion and co-burial and co-resurrection, all of my problem did not get fixed. A lot of it got fixed but not all of it. And it won't get fixed until I leave this body behind. So what am I to do? I need outside help. That will be chapter 8. We need outside help. When you trusted Christ, did you need outside help? Yes, you did, and you acknowledged it. And you trusted someone outside yourself to rescue you. What does Galatians 2.20 say? I have been crucified with Christ and I, what does Paul say? I no longer live. Paul, you're alive. What do you mean you no longer live? (laughs) I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul understands what to know. 
what to reckon and how to yield himself because he understands he no longer lives. It's Christ in him. And that's where we have to keep pressing into. Every Christian needs outside help. So here's a summary of Romans 7. The justified have been set free from the land and the power of the law. They have a new relationship to the law. And in fact, they have a new relationship to Christ, one akin to marriage. But what about God's law? Is it the problem? It is not the problem. It is good, right, true, just, holy, everything positive. The problem isn't the law. The problem is me. And sin that still lives in my flesh takes God's good stuff and twists it and uses it against me. And this is the king who continues to yell at you and yell at me over and through the wall and tell me that I'm missing out on something. This one who takes what God has given as good and uses it for evil in my life. This is the one that I keep listening to, the liar. hope this is making sense. Your resolve and mine to obey the word has never solved our problems, given us freedom, or produced the growth we so passionately desire. In fact, it's only worked against us. There are some statistics. Now, you say, well, Bill, I've, you know, I've made a list of do's and don'ts, and they've worked. I'll grant you they may work temporarily. But, you know, there's some people who live in a state that's um, sort of northwest of here. Um, very... Um, from the outside, they appear very righteous, have it all together, uh, because their list of do's and don'ts and the social pressures they have to keep up those do's and don'ts, you know, they have the highest suicide rate in this country. Why? <laughs> it doesn't work. And you collapse under the weight of trying to hold up this facade. It can't happen. It doesn't work. Do's and don'ts don't work. The truth is, self-effort can't produce holiness. Sorry. But better me burst your bubble than anyone else. Self-effort cannot produce holiness. Trying to keep rules, regulations, and or good resolutions has never saved anyone or curbed sin or produced true holiness. In fact, trying harder to follow rules or keep resolutions will never work permanently. Of ourselves, we are unable to make progress. Only the Holy Spirit can bring change because He's the only one with resurrection power. 
I think we've talked about this before. A lot of Christians, okay, so let's say you came to Christ at the age of uh, 20, and so you remember life before and you know life after. And you think, now that I am a follower of Christ, I have the power to defeat sin. And not permanently, but, you know, have some victories from time to time. I now have the power because now I follow Christ. And Paul would say, wrong. Sorry, wrong. You didn't have the power to save yourself, and you don't have the power to sanctify yourself. Oh, where else does Paul say that? Funny, he says it in the book of Philippians, doesn't he? where he says in verse 6 of chapter 1, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Who has to do the work to bring about true permanent change? The Holy Spirit. You have not been empowered to have victory over sin. And if you think you have that power, you will default to do's and don'ts, and they don't work. As a result, in the promised land, this is the end of chapter 7, as a result, in the promised land, I've been freed from the self-effort of do's and don'ts. I've been freed from it. I see a lot of skepticism. Here's the old bill. Here's the power. Sin exercised its authority and power over me as Adam's child. The new bill, I am no longer under the authority and power of sin, but under grace and the Spirit. What was the result before? I sinned. What's the result now? I'm drawn to obedience. The old bill was given wages. It's what I earned. The wages of sin, so committing sins, when I commit sins, what did, what, what was my payoff? Yay! <laughs> I got another death dollar. Because it was paying off. Paying off in death dollars. What do I get now? Gifts. No no wages. I'm given gifts. Mm. Do's and don'ts come from Adam. That's why it's our default. When you become a follower of Christ, you think, now I've got the power finally to obey like I couldn't before. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> You still can't get it right. But anytime you use something that you got from Adam, it's not going to work in the new land, in the promised land. It's not going to work because it doesn't belong. You'll always be frustrated, disappointed, and discouraged. You've been freed from self-effort. Keeping the law can only work on us from the outside in, never from the inside out. 
I can be a, um, what did Jesus say? A whitewashed tomb. I'm a pretty looking tomb. You can paint me, you know, you can whitewash me all day long if you want to. I may look really good on the outside, but what am I filled with? Dead men's bones. Does that sound like the new living in the promised land? No, because you were given new life. So something is not right. Yeah, do's and don'ts. They can only work on me from the outside in. They can't work on me from the inside out. And what does God look on as he tells Samuel? God looks on the heart, not on the outside. So God must have another plan. He does. No permanent heart change can ever occur by just modifying our behavior. Romans 7, striving to keep a list of do's and don'ts is what doesn't work. This is why legalism seems so right, but it is so wrong. It cannot save and it cannot transform. It just puts a burden, a Christian burden on you like the ones the Jewish people have been trying to carry. Do you not remember? It wasn't Moses, but Joshua, Jesus, who led you into the promised land. Moses represents the law. Jesus represents life. Moses did not bring anyone into the promised land. Moses cannot bring you or keep you in the promised land. Only Joshua, Jesus, can do that through his Holy Spirit. And this, right now, if, you, if you'll read through this about, oh, 10 or 12 times, this right now, you should be like my friend in the red shirt. We should be worshiping right now. This should be freedom. You've been freed from self-effort. What? Well, then how do I please God? Romans 5, you already please God. He sees you as justified. You go, well, now wait a minute. If I don't, if I don't walk the narrow way, what's... Wait a minute. How does he see you? I want, you got to start seeing how these Legos connect together. You say, well, but if, if I just live any way I want to. No, you can't do that. There's moral incongruity there. You can't do that. Well, then I'm going to keep a whole bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. Oh, it's not going to work. But how else will God be pleased with me? He's already pleased with you. Can he love you more than he does right now? The problem is we don't believe this. At least I don't. I one time told a friend, he said, how you doing? And I said, you know, if it wasn't for my mistrust and unbelief, I'd be doing really well. <laughs> and he, he went, do the elders know? <laughs> and I said, I'm sure I'd tell them about every five or six years. That's my problem. 
Mistrust and unbelief. Why? My flesh. <laughs> Why am I this way? I don't know. Who will release me from this body of death? Why do you think Paul is crying out at the end of Romans 7? Ah! <laughs> Who will release me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Because in Jesus Christ, this happens. This is cause for worship and celebration, my friends. And this is where the processing, and this is in your prayer closet. You just have to process this. You go, I understand it. Do you? Are you living it out? If not, it's like a computer program. You know, go back to the beginning. <laughs> Remind yourself of five, six, seven, and eight. What do I need to know? What do I need to consider? What do I need to, 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 uh, to yield? You know, it can't be a bunch of do's and don'ts. So I come back. I come back. I come back. I come back. And you may have to do this multiple times a day. Do you not remember? It wasn't Moses, but Jesus who led you into the promised land. You've been freed from self-effort. Just as the Jew who tries and tries to obey the law remains frustrated and bound up under the law, so Christians who seek to follow that same method of legalism will experience frustration and bondage. The principle of obeying law has never solved man's problems or given believers growth. God has freed us to pursue a faith relationship with Jesus, not a list of do's and don'ts. We all the time talk about, do you have a relationship with Jesus? But we restrict it to when I came to Christ. Do you have an ongoing relationship with Jesus? You say, well, what kind of relationship? <laughs> have you ever, um, there's been a person in your life, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a grandparent, um, a friend. Um, I don't know who it could be. Um, I know there are men in my life for whom this is true. They, they were men I um, respected, admired, and wanted to be more like these men. And so what did I do? I started hanging out with them. And guess what happens after a while of hanging out with them? You begin to adopt their perspective. Sometimes you begin, you begin to mimic their, you know, if somebody waves his arms, then you turn out waving your arms. You just become more like that person. Why? Because you're spending time with them. What am I doing? I'm just doing life with them. But what's happening? I'm becoming more like them. This is what we've been freed to do. Freed to pursue a relationship with Jesus. My default is do's and don'ts. I got that from Adam. He says, yeah, you don't live there anymore. <laughs> Bill, we're kind of, we're married now. Get to know me. Okay, Lord, 
how do I do that? I got my, do, uh, my to-do list. No, Bill, I don't want a to-do list. I just want you. Biblical story? Mary and Martha. Who's Martha? Me. Who's Mary? Is Mary helping with the dinner? Don't really know, but let's say she's not. Martha's doing all the work. How does Martha feel about that? Mm, not so good. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Mary, get off your rear and go help your sister. That's not what he says. What does he say? Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. You want to know how, where we're going in Romans 8? It starts in 7. There's the do's and don'ts. This is how do I get to know somebody that I begin to imitate them in every positive way? How does that happen? Because I spend time with them. So not only is it my mistrust and my unbelief, but it's my lack of time spent with Jesus. Oh, Bill, why don't I grow as a Christian? I'm not sure what it is for you. I can just tell you what it is for me. My mistrust, my unbelief, and not spending enough time with Jesus. But you're a pastor. I'm a person. I'm a human being. I'm just like you. You say, no, you're not. You're standing up on that. I am no different than you. None. I don't know if the same is true for you, but if it is, there are some places you can get started. And I would start with the last one first. Spend time with Jesus. <laughs> the mistrust and unbelief thing, you just, <laughs> you just got to keep trusting God. <laughs> but to spend time with Jesus. If you're not spending time with Jesus, I can guarantee you, you're not growing. I guarantee it. You say, I wish I would grow better as a Christian. Then spend more time with Jesus. Well, Bill, see, for you, you guys only work one day a week, and you sit around and eat bonbons, and you study your Bible and pray, I guess, for five days. No wonder. Come walk with me for a week. I'm willing to put my week up against yours any day. Uh, we're all busy. We're all busy people. I have to make time. So for me, I have to do it first thing in the morning. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, it ain't going to happen. I know that about myself. So I've got to make it happen the first thing in the morning. I don't know when it is for you. It doesn't matter. You do you. But if you're not spending time with Jesus, don't come and ask me, Bill, I've tried everything you've said and it just hasn't worked. Mm. How much time are you spending with Jesus? A full 10 minutes. Every day? Yeah, have you ever done that before? No. Great. Way to go. Increase that to 12. I mean, just see what that does. It doesn't have to... You, we are such overachievers. You're going, how do I spend 90 minutes? You know, the, Jesus said, can't you come pray with me an hour? So I've got to pray for an hour on my knees, and then that's after half an hour of good, intense Bible study in Greek and Hebrew. I know how some of you think. Don't go there, but spend time with Jesus.
God has freed us from the do's and don'ts. If he gave me a whole list of do's and don'ts, what would I do first? The do's and don'ts. Then I would come to the relationship because that's just how I'm put together. I'm much more of a a Martha than a Mary. I'm going to do instead of sit at his feet. But he seems to think that's better. And so there's got to be something to that. Things that inhibit growth. Are you trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts? Believing if you do that God will in some way owe you or look more favorably upon you. Do you? Sort of like a wedding. Do you? (laughs) This is the bookkeeping mindset that we inherited from Adam. Are you trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts, believing if you do that God will protect you and the other shoe will never drop? This is the bookkeeping mindset. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I just said something prideful. You start looking around. You're going, oh, gosh, that's going to be one demerit. That's going to be one paddle on the backside from God for me. Wait. Romans 5. How does God see me? How does he feel about me? You have never been in a relationship like this. That's why we can't, it's so hard to connect to. Every relationship we're in has some performance element to it. This one does, but it's all on him. And now he says, you get the benefit. I don't look at your performance anymore. You're mine. You're in me. You're no longer in Adam. You're in me. I can't love you any more than I love you. I can't do any more good to you than I'm doing. Bill, do you believe me? I want to believe you. (laughs) I struggle to believe you. Yeah, I got it. And you go, this is where you think Jesus goes, Bill, with your amount of education. I don't know if you can see it. My toe is tapping. (laughs) I'm not Jesus, but I'm Jesus. And he's looking at me, Bill. With all you know, don't you know teachers are judged more harshly? Really? I think you can do better. Try better. Try better, Bill. Try harder today. Who is that talking to you? That's coming from the other side of the wall. That is not coming from Jesus. Because Jesus isn't saying that to you. He's saying, I love you. I paid the ultimate price for you. And I intend to give you every good thing that's part of me. It's yours. I love you, Bill. I approve of you. You don't disappoint me. We keep dropping back into how Adam thinks. Here's another good one. Do you look down on others who don't keep your list of do's and don'ts? Does your walk bring you joy and freedom? That's a good test right there. 
or stress, disappointment, and discouragement because you've never done enough or aren't good enough? Do you have too high an opinion of yourself? Or do you see yourself as one desperately and daily in need of a deliverer? At the end of Romans 7, we should all be saying, I am unable to change. I am unable to change. Thanks be to God who has delivered me before and will deliver me again. Have you fully settled in your mind that self-effort is a dead-end road to spiritual growth? Romans 5, things to reflect on. Romans 5 is really about our standing, our identity. We've been justified by God's legal declaration. We have peace and safety with Him. There is grace now and glory later. Romans 6 has to do with our relationship. He's united us to Jesus Christ through death, burial, and resurrection. While you're not yet all you will be, you're no longer who you once were. But continuing in sin is inadmissible in our lives. And Romans 7 has to do with our inability. Do's and don'ts won't bring about spiritual growth because they rely on our self-effort. I'm not unwilling, but I am unable. And so Paul has set us up masterfully for chapter 8 because we desperately need outside help whom he has provided in his Holy Spirit. For next time, read Romans 8. Read it a few times. Actually, read 5, 6, 7, and 8 a few times. Continue to read that and meditate on that in your next two weeks. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for this truth. Um, sometimes it is just so hard to get it into our brains. Uh, would your spirit continue to take the truth of your word, uh, and implant it, as I prayed at the beginning, not just in our brains, but it needs to go there, but in our hearts and use it to transform us. Uh, we want to be like Mary. We want to pursue a relationship, a living, active relationship with you. And we know that, that it just really boils down to time. And so this week, uh, would you help us to become just a little more intentional uh, about our time with you? And we know that that'll uh, bless us, and we pray that um, it'll, it'll do good to us as well. We thank you for loving us so immeasurably in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for him. He is amazing and great, our Savior. We love him. We worship him this evening. And declare once again, we have no God in heaven but you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you in two weeks.